we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the lands and waters where we're recording from, the Waramai and Wanarua peoples. We acknowledge the Waramai and Wanarua elders, both past and present. I always wait to see the numbers up in the top corner because I don't want to fuck it up too much. All right, let's see what happens. Okay. Welcome to the Bay 53 Jazz. My name isn't Naggy, and I am not here as always with his co host Liam McNeil. But what you do have is a very Aldi, nay, Franklin's brand Jazz with your good host K Dog. We are once again missing Bretto. So I am joined by the OG Jouster, Naggy Nagwell. Mate, how are you this fine post rugby league Monday evening? Oh, Carl, it's very good to be with you, uh, and it's good to be online. It's good to be uh, having a microphone somewhat in front of me and, and ready to talk some rugby league. It's uh, it's certainly been quite a while between drinks. That's figuratively, I mean. Uh, and uh, but it's it's uh, as much as I would like to say it's it's good to be ripping into another season of the Newcastle Knights. It does have a familiar flavour of, of that of a certain 2015, 16, 17. That sort of elk. That sort of vintage of rugby league. Uh, but it's good to be with you all the same. There were a couple of uh, magnificent things that happened earlier in this year that have definitely come back to haunt me. The first one was obviously buying grand final tickets. They'll be going on eBay at some point for um, anyone else whose team is actually there. But the it's, second one... Yeah, you go. It's more of like you've invested in grand final tickets. Carly. Correct. Really, they're, they're always worth something. Uh, they might just be worth something less to yourself, uh, but they remain semi-equal in monetary value to to another supporter of a more successful team. Look, they're definitely worth something to me. If not, uh, if if nothing else, then to um, highlight to me my uh, my ability to go off early. But the second thing, the second thing from this year, which was m- magnificent, was the number of people after two rounds who were saying to me, "Well, I hope this doesn't turn out like 2016." I was like, "Ah, you're sorry, 2015." I was like, "Ah, you're crazy. This is nothing like 2015. There's no way we're going to win our first two games that convincingly and not make the top four. So. <laughs> It's certainly got a feeling of it. It couldn't happen again. It won't happen again because we've learned from those mistakes. But here we are in in the same situation once again. And in that same 2015, you know, winning those games early, winning nothing in the middle of the season, and then hoping that there's somewhat of a resurgence. Even we look towards our most failed years, and as in 05, where we have the resurgence from, from about round 16 onwards, and we could yep. be a team that sort of uh, an informed loser. Uh, and that's sort of what we're gripping onto at the moment, hoping to be standing on top of the ship pile rather than being in the ship pile at the, at the, at the, within the, uh, the table itself. But I think at the moment uh, we're sinking ever so slowly and it's about up to our knees at the moment. I've, I've got it up to about my belly button. That's that's really where I feel that this year. Now, you won't have picked up on this, but to open tonight, I actually did ask you, how are you this evening? And I did that on purpose because um, for the for the tens of people who are still listening to our pod um, this year, one of the things Nagy did say, I went to Nagy quite often 
for um, for advice. Uh, I'm I'm actually fanboying quite um, quite badly tonight, uh, having um, having Nagy on. He said, and I don't want to make you uncomfortable, but this is what I do. Um, certainly, what the boys over at the Jazz did uh, inspired myself in Bredo uh, greatly, uh, along with the great Harry Ramage and uh, and his Steel City podcast. So they were two that those were two that we just we draw drew as much as we could against to sort of get a good pod happening. But one of the things that Nagy did say to me very early on in the piece, he says, mate, whatever you do, when you're opening up the pod, don't lead with the question, how are you? Because it's a directionless, useless question where anybody can say, oh, yeah, I'm good, thanks. And it doesn't go anywhere. If you're going to ask your guest a question, ask them something that goes beyond merely how they feel so that you give yourself an opening to go into. So I was curious how Nagy was going to navigate that minefield of an opening question. And you did really well. I was I was actually very impressed with your answer. I think I just ignored the question entirely. <laughs> I think as I've learned from... Uh... From the great Lee McNeil living in uh, now residing in North America, is that uh, if you're if you get asked how you are and you're not feeling particularly well, just pretend like they never asked it at all and talk about other things. <laughs> so it's uh, it's a skill that he's passed on to me, and I'm happy that I can uh, hopefully pass it on to you and, and many others. Nagy, we, we've obviously got a lot of rugby league that we need to talk to. Unfortunately, we have a lot of Newcastle Knights that we have to talk to. Unfortunately, as usual, we do have a lot of contra- – the the 24-hour uh, news cycle that is rugby league is just continuously pumping out controversy. But before we get to any of that, uh, I always do like to ask our guests uh, a little bit about themselves Um Mate, as a long-suffering Knights fan, there has to be a really good explanation as to what gets you, got you into this um, mess. So, uh, what led you to uh, support the mighty fighting Newcastle Knights? Growing up in Port Stephens, uh, I, the Newcastle Knights was always there. But, you know, Port Stephens is like, almost like an island off Newcastle. You have to go over a bridge to get there. Uh, it, you just feel like you've got ocean all around you except for one road out. Uh, so, we're sort of uh, linked uh, metaphorically, but also quite literally, uh, to, to the Newcastle area. Uh, but it was always more in the periphery, Newcastle Knights. It wasn't something that you could regularly attend as a younger person, uh, unless you were bussing it in. And, uh, and so I didn't really engage with the team uh, properly until I was about uh, 13 or 14 years old. Before then, I, uh, I was aware that... Um, uh, my mother's cousin was, uh, well, still is, I should say, another another passed away. It was Tony Butterfield. So I knew that there was some sort of connection there, but that I just never really appreciated. Uh, and and so I was sort of like, oh yeah, that's that that's happening. And then '97, I can remember watching probably was the first rugby league game I can remember watching entirely. 2001, I can also remember the buzz around uh, when that was happening, uh, but not until a few years after. Uh, which has only just occurred to me that I could have been the me becoming more involved. In Don't the say it. The Newcastle Knights. Don't <laughs> say it. <laughs> could have led to their, uh, their their sort of finals drought. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> because 2004, I fell in love with rugby league, and I went from sort of appreciating it from afar to just getting absolutely obsessed with it. And that was around the same can time. I that I, can I stop you there for a second? Because so. Um, if you've listened to this pod before, you might have a bit of an idea that we're a little bit of a fan of uh, Andrew Johns. We think he's a bit of all right. I've got I've got a very close uh, working relationship with the statue guy. The reason 2004 jumps out to me is that Joey played uh, two and a half games. Yeah. 
So how does the absence of the greatest player to ever grace a rugby league field make you like rugby league more? Well, I started at the beginning of the season. And so I was excited to see, because I believe we were coming off the two wins into that Parramatta game. Correct. Uh, and uh, and then to see Andrew Johns go down with a knee injury. But it was the first time that I, I saw, you know, someone go down injured. And then uh, the, the general consensus was, well, he won't play again this season. So to see uh, how significant of an injury uh, can can just wipe someone off. I wasn't really familiar with that concept that that, that was a that a season-ending injury was a thing. I, I assume people get hurt and they either never walked again or they were back next week. I didn't know there was anything in between. So uh, that was a bit of a shock to to realize that he wasn't coming back. Uh, but also within that, I saw the team sort of change and and uh, other members rose up. Uh, so obviously this was a time where Kirk Gilly was was really sort of coming into his own, taking on more of a leadership role within the team. Uh, obviously Danny Badiris um, won his Dally M that year and, and Captain the Blues for the first time, you know, for so. And despite not being able to make the finals, there was still this hope that possibly this team of um, uh, of well-accomplished players uh, could could still pull it off and, and it was only upon reflection, seeing um, uh, in the year, as years went on, the, the, the quality of the players that we still had in that side in 04, um, that that could have got it done if we could have kept them on the field because the injuries we just got ravaged, um, couldn't keep the likes of uh, Ben Kennedy on the field. Mm. I was a big Matty Parsons fan, and you know, that was his final year with the club, and he was starting to break down as well. Yep. Uh, and well, Matty and... Matty and BK's last year was 2004. That's correct, and uh, and Robbie O'Davis as well. You know, and it was uh, it was very it was hard to see sort of these players that I always knew had been involved with the club sort of on their way out, uh, and, and it was a big change. Obviously, I was also glued to the, uh, the 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 media and the television around. Will Andrew Johns re-sign? Because that was also the uh, around mid-season, I believe he came on the the footy show and announced it from memory, and then. Yeah, and that was a huge moment to say that he's going to stay with the club because uh, well, he's going to stay with rugby league. Rugby league, exactly. That was a there was a a lot of talk that he was uh, no, no no longer going to be with. The, he was going to go with the Waratahs. He was uh, going to go, and everyone had already written him off as he's going to go, and that that rings familiar bells this year. If I, yeah. if I say that. You know what? You know what? Actually, uh, the image that always gets stuck in my head when I think about the Andrew Johns to rugby um, media circus in two thousand and four, uh, the only thing I can ever picture from that is uh, Andrew Johns being led down a path away from media by Red, his, uh, Matty Johns as Red Dragon, because he was pretending to be his agent at the time. He's like, "Get out of the way! Stay away from my client!" He's sort of, and he's putting the full character on. And I just thought. That was an amazing thing for Maddie to do for his brother, just to defuse the situation. It was probably one of the most stressful times in Andrew's life um, because from what I understand, he genuinely was torn over the whole thing. Um, and so, yeah, so that's that's always the lasting image for me in terms of the Joey to rugby talk. It was certainly a uh, an, an interesting year. And, and I'll tell you what, when he was, said he was going to sign, re-sign with the Knights, um, at the time, I don't think um, we really saw how the team started to lose a lot of that other um, real high performers, as we mentioned, the, the people that have been there through those final series, like the BKs, like the Robbie O's, um, and, and they, they even going into 05, 
having their other sort of stalwarts like uh, Josh Perry. I know it was a year that he just uh, was constantly either injured or suspended. He uh, he spent so much time off the field, uh, and and I, when we saw these new players sort of coming in that didn't probably have the same class as the players going out. Um, we started to look a lot less, you know, obviously uh, with the famous um, fullback that replaced Robbie O was... David Siege. David Siege, the great David Siege that only managed about six games uh, with only, you know, six games and three uh, knee reconstructions was about his record. Oh, it was, it, it was uh, and it just seemed to show that, you know, uh, it, it, we lacked that sort of polish. Not to say that we didn't bring it all back and uh, have the great Joey Johns really... Uh, overcome that from the end of uh, 2005 to, to right through uh, 2006 uh, to show his class once again. But uh, it was hard. It was definitely a hard time being uh, a fanatical Knights fan. And I think that was probably the only time that I've been really uh, obsessed with the team uh, and, and NRL in general because so much of my life was dedicated to watching, you know, every single game being so focused on on every single player and I was obsessed with rugby league week I was definitely a rugby league week man more than a big league guy um, <laughs> and uh, even though upon reflection like I still kept some of the magazines and I feel like the big league was a much well together put magazine than uh, rugby league week especially towards the end there rugby league week seems like uh, there was lots of uh, sort of uh, recycled articles and just like mi- middle sections where it was just posters of teams and things like that. So the um the ARL Super League war lived on in Rugby League Week and Big League magazine. So uh, Rugby League knows how to knows how to create a feud. It was certainly a yeah, it was a real pick uh, pick your like which which one do you buy you know. Mm. Um, but I liked the uh, the rankings. I was I really liked the uh, players were ranked at. Um, You'd have the stats, you'd have the running meters, the tackles, and then they would give them a ranking out of 10. I'm pretty sure in 05, only one player got a 10 out of 10 for their performance. And I think that was um, Way McKinnon. Is that my thinking his name correctly? Um, yeah, possibly. Fullback, I think he was playing for Parramatta at the time and ran for over 300 running meters. The only so, one, the only 10 out of 10 that I care about is the 10 out of 10 that Joey got in 2001 for his uh, 34 points against Canberra. Well, that's uh, that's that, yeah, that was uh, excellent. And then didn't he? He got would have got close to that again in um, 06. Was there how many points did he get against them in 06? Oh, uh, yeah. Actually, look, if there's any listeners who want to um, let us, I'm sure I'll get some DMs about this. <laughs> um, uh, I'm yeah, I, I actually should know that. But I, you know, I've always got the feeling with that um, 70 points that we put on Canberra in 2006. Like, and I know this sounds stupid when you've scored 70 points, but I've always felt like that uh, performance has been diminished because Canberra scored 36 of their own. Well, and it, I'm wasn't, like, it wasn't a done deal. Like, at half time, it was still... Yeah, Canberra yeah, yeah. Could, ...could have still been in the game. I I remember that game fondly. Well, not exactly fondly, but I remember it well because it was a Sunday afternoon game. And if you remember back in 2006, Sunday afternoon games were telecast at 4 o'clock. Correct. But they were, but they, were uh, they were actually played one hour before. So I uh, I remember watching it, being quite intensely watching it, and then uh, having my landline phone call. Like there were mobiles that existed at the time, but we a lot of people still called each other on the landline. And uh, <laughs> and, and, and I picked it up, and it was a friend of mine. And he said, "You wouldn't believe the night score." And he uh, he he looked it up, I think, online and seen that um, 
that the, the score, and he told me the score just the second half was sort of uh, into it. And I couldn't believe it. And then I saw it unfold in my eyes, almost as if I was, I had like a divine uh, fortune teller tell me what's happened in the future. And then I could watch it all happen. You don't get that much these days. Although it, I think the one hour delay in the, uh, in the, in the broadcast stayed around far too long. <laughs> so it, it's actually really funny that you should say that because I think it must be something about Knights Canberra games that does that for Newcastle people because so was it a 3.30 kickoff or a 3 o'clock kickoff? Was it an hour or a half hour? Because anyway, you're absolutely right. It was the, the Sunday afternoon game because we didn't, we didn't get live free-to-air rugby league 20 years ago. We got two... Um, delayed matches, one on a Friday night, one on a Sunday afternoon, and they were both. Yeah, I think you're right. I think they were both an hour delayed. An hour delayed, or just to cram more advertising in, or something of that nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that they could have breaks. So, do you remember the Brett Finch uh, drop kick out on the full in uh, 2001? 2001 would have been before my time of watching Red right. Red 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 Yeah. That's fine because it's it's a fairly like uh, it, it's a fairly significant. I mean, we don't like to talk too much about uh, Finchie these days, but because um, the Knights were losing, they were losing that game until the final uh, few minutes. And I, at the time, I was just I was so over the team. I was like, we get like because we were, we were we were supposed to do well that year. We were going to have a good year, and we, we just weren't firing. And and I said to Dad, "Fuck this team. We're just not. Like, I'm sick of us losing. This is shit." And so I jumped onto Sports Tonight to see what the final score ended up being. And, yeah, lo and behold, it says Knights 22 to 20. And I was like, Dad, we won. He's like, shut up. It's still on. <laughs> I can still remember at least in, oh, it must have been 2010 or something of that nature. It was a Manly game uh, where the Knights were playing down in Manly on this Sunday. And uh, Dane Gagai, this must have been 2012 that this was going yeah. on. So, and then Dane Gagai's brother happened to be in the sponsor pub of uh, the, the the Sunnyside's Habit, a uh, much inferior pub to the Commonwealth Hotel. But it's uh, but we, we happened to be there, and and it's uh, his brother got up at half time and said in front of the room on a PA. Oh, I know we're behind, but I've got all the faith in the boys. They're going to come back and win. And then some bloke just walks in the pub and goes, "They've already lost." <laughs> <laughs> and then it would just went, "Oh," and everyone was like, "Oh, piss off, mate!" Oh, but it ruined it because we were there to watch it. And then this was, you know, people had smartphones in their pocket. It yeah. took there was it was a real disconnect of of uh, of the broadcasters thinking that they they could get away with doing this any longer. Yeah. That, there was any sort of spectacle outside of, um, you know, blokes in their seventies watching it at, at the RSL that uh, they could put something on that delay that you wouldn't just have a bit of a sneaky look. Mm. Um, and yeah, it was, and it was, you know, by the end of the game, it's a good forty minutes behind. There's no point of watching a uh, something on a knife's edge when it's already happened. You feel like a bit of a fool. Maggie, I um I could reminisce about the Newcastle Knights all night, and God knows at the moment it it it, it would be preferable to do that. Before we do get on to the horrors that are the, the modern Newcastle Knights, mate, uh, I sort of I, I as I indicate, we've got a bit of a different opening happening tonight, as I did indicate at the moment. Uh, sorry uh, to start this um, this week's program. 
Um, the stuff that you and Liam did was um, hugely inspiring to us. Like we used to, we used to watch the stuff that you'd produce. Um, it was uh, informed. It was intelligent. It was um, entertaining. Uh, it was long running. And I remember I used to watch it, and I used to be like, "I could do that." Uh, but um, but in all seriousness, like you and you and Liam, I think you went for four years. You had a four year run. Four, four year run, yeah, yeah. Liam, uh, sorry, Nagy. I mean, you and you and Liam really were at the forefront. Like you were really groundbreakers in terms of uh, what you see. Like everyone and their dog today has a podcast or a vodcast when it comes to um, when it comes to you know sport, rugby league, uh, individual clubs. But you and Liam at the time were really doing something different. You know, talk us a bit through that. What what brought you and Liam together? What brought you to the point where you were like, "Hey, we we could create this and we could do it well." And uh, what kept you going? Uh, I think, to be honest, it was uh, around the time. So it was twenty seventeen was the first year that we started doing it, and it was coming off the back of twenty sixteen, where obviously the Knights had uh, their worst season to date. Uh, and the media had completely, basically given up on speaking about the Knights uh, unless they were the butt end of a joke. And that really sort of got to me that think, I just want some, I want some faith put it back in this club. I want to talk about at least rebuilding or how we're going or, um, you know, 2017 should be better. And there was just nothing on the horizon. Everyone had just drawn a line through them, worse than any other club that I'd ever experienced. So I knew that... Um, I had a, uh, I had someone, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Elliot Beavis, who was um, uh, producing another podcast at the time, and he, uh, I wanted to do a nice one, but I knew I wouldn't be able to do it on my own. So I said to Elliot, I said, look, uh, Liam has got this idea. Uh, it's called, uh, he wants to do a nice podcast, um, and he wants you to be involved. So Elliot said, oh, that sounds good. But then I called Liam, and I said, Elliot's got this idea for a nice podcast. And he wants you to be involved. So I sort of sold uh, either of them the same story to try to convince them both to do it because myself, I don't really have uh, the ability to, to, to talk uh, as passionately or as articulately like Liam. And I don't have any of the ways to produce anything technical like Elliot. So I just sort of sold them a little bit of the light lie to get them in the same thing. Um, <laughs> and once that, once that occurred, it was... Uh, it's uh, it, it just we just seemed to work it out. It, and um, the first season, um, we didn't really know what we were doing, and we just thought we'll put it out there and see what comes back. Uh, we might get a few people listening, and uh, and look, it was mainly silly gags and uh, with a little bit of rugby league talk. Um, uh, you know, we got just as much uh, joy out of pretending that we were sponsored by Koala Glass and, and local like <laughs> businesses. Uh, you know, just just dropping in things mid like mid uh, conversation, like you know what, Liam, you can't get past Koala Glass. I'll fix it and I'll fix it fast, and that brings us to this was my tackle. And, and so it was like that sort of pretend like we were already well established, uh, and because we could hide behind the fact that no one could see us and no one knew our setup. Uh, or what we were doing so uh, and, and that just seemed to, to evolve into this uh, sort of uh, joust brand you know we, we did some silly videos and things like that and, and people just really responded to them and, and um, it was nice to see but then it also became quite scary to see because people would like would sort of identify you and say oh I, I listen I listen every week and I, I don't know who this person is who's talking to me and mm. I'm, I'm not like I'm, 
I'm quite extroverted, but at the same time, I'm very cautious to think like, am I, um, you know, going to be, is, is someone about to, you know, humiliate me or something like that? So I just, I, I'm very wary when, when people approach me. So it became a, uh, its own sort of beast. Uh, and then we, yeah, before we met up the first year, we were doing some live, some, some venues asked us to do some, um, some emceeing and things like that. And by that point, uh, it was really like, uh, Liam had created a character for himself and, and, uh, and, and my job was mainly just to sort of corral Liam into, into, uh, uh, uh allowing his mind to talk about things as he does so well. I, um, I mean, there's no direct comparison. You, you guys are certainly, you're, um, you, you, you were such a unique and, like you said, identifiable show. Gun to my head, I'd have to say uh, Bredo is very much the naggy of the show and K-Dog is very much the Liam of the show because Nagy and Bredo, and no disrespect, Liam, if you are listening, you know I love your work, but Bredo and Nagy are probably the more informed uh, intellectuals. K-Dog and Liam are the loose units who just sort of, well, oh, maybe- I think- I think this is great. I'm going to talk about this. And Bredo's like, hey, why don't you shut up? So uh, <laughs> maybe just more more emotionally driven people. Yes. 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 I, could, I, I could definitely uh, sympathize with that. And and look, yeah, we we, we ended up like, we've got almost, uh, we would joke about we would be uh, characters on the show. We'd always pretend like we were very well informed with the club. We would have these uh jokes ongoing that you know we got in touch with the uh you know they would miss three conversions in the, in the thing and said oh that, that's all right we, we've been talking to mark turkey who's the conversion coach of the uh, <laughs> of the newcastle knights and things we but we always had this tongue-in-cheek gag that we were somewhat uh, attached to the club much closer than than we were but in 2018 we um we were contacted by the club to actually do uh some content with them and i and uh and sort of made it only upon reflection did it make really no sense to our characters uh, to continue pretending and making all these outrageous claims and then, like, at the, at the same time, actually be doing content with the Knights as well, um, releasing almost on the same evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anything, it sort of um, it took the fun out of the joke because, uh, because it, it just it, it made... Um, it sort of blurred the line between what we were joking about and then what we were actually doing. And we weren't doing anything significant with with the club. It was just another um, platform of of, uh, of online content. But uh, upon reflection, it was almost like it was a bit of a mistake to break down that fourth wall <laughs> um, yeah. and um, and uh, and become involved. But also, it was it was always our dream to do something like that. And then, you know, you, you don't want to ever sort of meet your heroes or, or achieve those dreams because um, it was something that we uh, we much preferred, uh, the safety of Elliot's garage, uh, so we could have our own space and, yeah. and really control it. Because when you when you sort of are working with someone, uh, another another group, um, you have to sort of bind to their, um, their own sort of goals and... Um, Absolutely. And ethical standards and things like that and uh, you sold out just say it naggy you you sold out we made the biggest mistake to sell out for absolutely zero money so so i think we're going to be the first people in history that were like yeah we sold out we we we, uh we threw away all our integrity so we could achieve absolutely zero dollars in the bank uh and so we 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 were uh morally corrupt and financially bankrupt all at the same time (laughs) Uh, Maggie, do you and or Liam, do you ever think about 
uh, pulling the the headphones back on or dusting off the mics, as it were. I mean, because um, as I said, you, you, you did this thing for such a long time. You do mention that it does sort of take a toll on you. And in fact, uh, one of the things you actually did say to me at the beginning of the year um, was you said you pace yourself. You know, it, it's yeah. a long season. You have all of this energy at the be and oh, look, I, I won't. I, I will. We'll be very honest with you. I think one of the things that Bretto and I did need to do was start getting people on. You know, give us that. Um, give us that fresh perspective. Give us that. Um, that extra sort of element. Uh, but you guys did it in your own time for four years. What um, what kept you going? And also, yeah, do do you ever think about um, getting back into the game again? I don't think in the night space uh, there's anything else to do for for Liam and I. Um, there's no room left. left. So it's the most it's the most saturated fan base market on the planet. <laughs> it's uh, I don't think we could add any value to it anymore. I don't think uh, I think there's there's many different uh, uh, you know people out there doing their own thing and covering covering that ground. And I think in, even in podcasting in general has changed quite a bit. And we're not we would. Probably if we ever got the itch to come back and if Liam was ever um, residing back in Australia, and uh, hopefully he does, um, hopefully he's listening to this, Liam, come home. Um, but uh, he's very happy. I second that. With his, uh, with his darling wife over there. So, uh, But at the, the same time, I think if we were ever going to do anything, we would, we would chance our arm on some sort of other uh, content and uh, as a way to sort of pump our own tyres uh, and... Uh, but at the same time, not try to try to reestablish anything that we uh, that we had. I think for we really uh, were really amazed at the uh, the response that we got when we started putting stuff out, um, not expecting anyone to listen, and that was a genuine thing. So we we thought we got lightning in the bottle there, and what what we couldn't we wouldn't be able to try to repeat it. And I don't think we the energy there would be to 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 try to do that. I think it would be. Uh, sort of be happy for what we did and always look back and think, you know, there was uh, some trying times and some times where we weren't really sure uh, which direction to take it. And But I think we can be proud of some aspects of what we put out and uh, and we can look back on that fondly because, uh, uh, yeah, we wouldn't, I don't think we would try to, to, to rewrite that. But, you know, I don't know, we, like we might try to do like a, uh, like a one-off or something like that if Liam was back in the country, but uh, but I don't think we would be we would be aiming to do that. It was a real um, it was a real team effort outside of Liam and I. We were, we we Liam and I could barely operate like a light bulb kind of a thing. Like we were very both of us uh, an absolute you know semi illiterate fools um, and. Much like Bredo and myself. <laughs> and it was only through the good graces of much more talented people around us uh, at the time. Uh, and to, to list them off was uh, Elliot Beavis, yeah, Sam Cupid, Josh Balico, and uh, and Pom, uh, which is Ryan Cox. Uh, he, they all made everything work, you know, as far as filming and the audio. They contributed with so many ideas to, to do um, the, the sillier things as well as uh, the, the the very basics to make a show come out every week and um, and we just simply turned up yeah uh, so it would be literally it'd be like uh, my my favorite movie the blues brothers I'd have to go around to each one of their houses and say we're getting the band back together and we're absolutely doing we're doing it one for one night only 
You, you uh, mentioned a few. You mentioned a few names there. Uh, I do not do this enough, often enough, of course. Uh, nah, mate, did your um, did your opening, and they are, we are very, very lucky recipients of the same privilege uh, on our on our little podcast. Um, so, uh, no, I know exactly what you mean. Into, well, actually, not for the purpose of what we do. Bredo and I just sit in front of a microphone and hope for the best. But um, I think, yeah, when we, it's certainly when you used to watch some of the stuff that the Joust would put out, like the 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 production quality on it was something where you're like, Fuck, are these guys? Are you actually doing this out of NBN Studios? Because it, it was of such a standard that you sort of you almost set an unrealistic bar for everyone else to follow from the get go, um, and it was it was just yeah it, it really was for people in Newcastle it really was something culturally that you just automatically associated with the Newcastle Knights. And, I mean, the Joust as well. Like, you even nailed the fucking name. Like, Bredo and I were sitting around going, oh, what the fuck are we going to go? Like, oh, we sit in Bay 53. Yeah, that'll do. Everyone does that. But you sort of came up with something that it was it was almost too clever in a lot of ways because, obviously, there's the Joust aspect where you're like, yeah, that's what Knights do. But then, you know, there's the Joust where you sort of, well, yeah, there's a bit of that sort of back and forth about it as well. Like, it was just – it was such a clever name and such a, a, a very um, sort of uh, clear uh, brand that was just fundamentally you and Liam. Yeah, and it became – yeah, it became something that we were sort of, uh, you know, that was very sort of – branded and and so somewhat there are still um you know some few people today that will still associate us uh, if i meet new people they just sort of you know they might shake my hand for that extra shake and they sort of point it and they sort of said oh i sort of remember you from somewhere uh but you know you look like that guy from the podcast but you're a bit fatter they might <laughs> something along those lines or or there was this you know it, it, and it's and it really was uh it, it was just something that I think we got lightning in a bottle for, for a, a couple of years there. And, I, and, um, and then, uh, you know, it, we just stuck around. I think we was, uh, in some ways we, I think we just, we sort of caught enough people's attention and then we're just around for long enough. So when we stopped doing it, there was a, a slight thing of, oh, that's a shame. Uh, but so no, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. It's it's like the the um, well, great. I'm using that converted uh, inverted commas. Uh, the great Ian Chappell always used to say, "Leave when they're asking you to stay, as opposed to staying when they ask you to leave." Newcastle are the premiers. Naggy, I, I know you do get uncomfortable talking about this stuff, and I, I certainly didn't bring you on to fanboy all night. I mean, I, I do that in my spare time anyway. Mate, we've avoided it for long enough. Will we get to the footy? Absolutely. Let's uh, let's rip it. Friday night, McDonald Jones Stadium, round nineteen. It was hugely foreseeable and yet still largely disappointing. The Knights lost. Uh, what was the final score in the end? Forty-two to twelve That's at right. home to the Roosters. As we indicated earlier, our season is spiralling. Nay, it is just into nuclear fallout territory. Um, Adam O'Brien uh, described the season post-game as a shitty season, season thus far. Uh, Maggie, your, your take on Friday night in 20 words or less before we really, we really go to town on it. I don't know if I could ever be held to 20 words or less. I've already used at least 12 of them. Uh, 
I would just like to, um, I'll circle back to uh, my thoughts on Adam O'Brien's comments in general this season. But uh, I've got such strong memories of uh, the Roosters sort of slapping us around at home uh, that it seemed like it was always going to happen. Uh, and, and despite the, the hope uh, on, the, on the field of certain players coming back in the way of Jaden Braley and seeing him play with Kane Ponger and things like that, um, it, it, it almost seemed uh, like it was, it was bound to happen that uh, there was going to be some sort of injury uh, to, to one of those star players once again because we are, we are stuck in this curse. Uh, but that doesn't forgive what seems to be uh, the fundamentals of the game uh, in which, or the gap in the ability which seems to open up as soon as something goes wrong. Uh, and our ability to deal with uh, how on the field within an 80-minute window, it seems like our ability to recover uh, and, uh, and still uh, stick to a game plan, uh, that doesn't seem to hold. Uh, and that was just so evident on, on Friday night. On the telly game as well, it's, it's a, I tell you what, losing on a Friday night at home is a great way to ruin the weekend. It's a oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah, 100%. No more night. I'm, I'm never sure which I hate more. Losing on a Friday night and ruining the rest of the weekend or losing on a Sunday afternoon after my re- weekend's been ruined by anxiety. It's just there's, there's no there's no win for that for that scenario those scenarios. Saturday uh, three pm games pretty good as far as you want to get thrashed then because you, the, the the following games sort of drown it out. Uh, yes. And then you've still got Sunday to sort of recover before, you know, the dreaded Monday. Uh, so, you know, you have a bit of time there that people forget. But I always I always get embarrassed to see the Knights getting thrashed on the telly game. I know. Uh, oh, I agree. Have, yeah. Have KO and things like that. But I still think, you know, that there's diehard rugby league fans out there still hanging out for the Friday and Sunday match. Mm. Uh, and, and to see us getting thrashed um, on, on, you know, the high rating games, it just, it just sort of hurts the soul. Do you mind if I, I, I just comment on the Adam O'Brien? Yeah, no, I don't mind at all. Go for it. There's been, um, I think Adam O'Brien, as far as coaches, uh, because of his persona, handles the media quite well. And that is uh, the media, Adam O'Brien is a person that doesn't give too much away emotionally. He never really, he's he's a kind of a person that, um, if he was an assistant principal and he called you into his office, you don't know whether he's about to give you some sort of commendation or he's about to expel you. You don't have any, you don't get any sort of vibes off him. And I think that keeps uh, most uh, of the reporters sort of on side that they don't want to, um, they don't know if he's about to blow his lid. They don't know if he's just about to, you know, uh, take 10 seconds and consider his answer. Everything sort of rolls out and he uses this really well in the way that he makes excuses for the team. Now, I don't know whether this is because he uh, thinks he has the answers and they're just around the corner, or he's run out of answers at about round six and he's just buying time. Because uh, if, we, if we circle back only a few weeks ago, we were waiting for 400, 800 games of career talent coming back into the team. And without those, we, we basically had no chance. And, and then now as only we're rolling into the death rattles of the season we're talking about. Um, oh, it's been a shitty season. We're now talking about well, our preseason was interrupted, uh, and all of, and we're thinking this is new information to us. We weren't aware of this. It was all, you know, we were rolling into games one and two, and and uh, thinking everything was peachy, everything worked out fine. But now we find out that um, nothing's really gone well, and uh, you know, it was bound to. We were bound to fail, and this sort of has echoes of the 2016 season, where the the press conference rolls around and win, lose, or draw, and it's only ever once won and once drawn. 
that it was <laughs> it, it was the ex- expectation that I tell you what it was really great that these guys went out there and competed. Well done for competing, <laughs> competing for sixty minutes. Oh, Maggie, you I've are never, triggering so many of our listeners right now. <laughs> I've, never, I've, I've never seen a club backslap mediocrity more than the Newcastle Knights post-match conference where they yeah. talk about, well, we competed for 50 minutes. We're losing listeners. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 um, I agree with you uh, largely overall. Yep. A couple of things I do want to pull you up on, though, is that, and I'm not saying I disagree. I actually do think that you are right in respect of the fact that Adam O'Brien is the type that doesn't give much away. Having said that, though, we are dealing with a coach who just recently has been videoed um, uh, smashing a fan in the coach's box uh, through that water bottle. Um, he's had a couple of stories about him off field in terms of, oh, well, do you know who I am? And, and all this sort of uh, stuff. So uh, I think Adam O'Brien wants to portray himself as a guy who's emotionally uh, in charge when he needs to be. The problem for him, though, is that he's, I mean, he's, he's in, a, in a not even three-year career, he's given multiple instances where he's dropped that guard. And so you do wonder what's going on behind the scenes. Having said that, having said that, because I, I agree with you, and there are a lot of um, Robbie M judges who will be ripping their hair out um, about this conversation, but we've got the microphone. I actually, uh, I'm not a fan of the post-game presser. I don't think it serves anything, win or lose, or the occasional draw. But it's so funny to me the number of people that see Adam O'Brien press conferences as excuses. When I listen to them, what I hear is a coach who's trying to look like he's looking out for his players. I think he is looking out for his players, but I think he wants to be seen to be looking out for them as well. So when he's saying a lot of things, a lot of people here, oh, he's just giving an excuse for losing. He's like, well, he may well be doing that, but he's also a coach that knows that if he loses the players, he loses his job. And he wants to be heard saying public words, which are to the players, I still have faith in you. I think I totally agree with that. And I think he, he has a, a solid, what I said, I think he handles the media really well because I think he gives them their, uh, their soundbite somewhere in his answer. Then he gives them, he gives them a, uh, something to print the next day. Um, and he's very sort of considered about what that's going to be. And it's always under the same thing. Yes, we're hurting, but there's hope. Uh, yeah. There's, that sort of narrative has has um, has followed right through the season. And look, there's definitely been some games this season which I think if we had uh, if we if things had been different, we'd pulled off those wins. Obviously, the Canberra game speaks uh, volumes in that sense. Uh, Canberra and St George. They're the, they're the two big. Are, are the two? Yeah, exactly right. And if that was if we're winning those games changes the trajectory of the season and, and you know, we, we would be uh, potentially out of the doldrums in which we're in. Uh, there might be a bit more negative thought creeping into my mind about uh, the outlook over what is possible over the next six games and then looking back at the season from what we've seen now and thinking, is this going to be, uh, you know, a spoon-off again like there's been uh, in, in recent times? Is this going to be... Uh, a, a season where you look and think, where did the wheels completely fall off? Because I don't mm. think, unlike a, a team like the Titans or the Dogs, 
uh, where the wheels seemed to come off early enough that they they could hit crisis point and then start their uh, their, their sort of shake up. Um, there we hadn't hit the bottom to be able to to do that. There was always this hope of oh things will right themselves when Jaden Bradley comes back, when we get Pongo back up from Origin duty, when um, you know we've got uh, the likes of Barnett comes back from suspension to add a bit of starch. We've you know, uh, looking at the team like, oh, we're not going to have players like Jack Johns out there uh, starting back row um, every game. Once we get these more talented, experienced players back, uh, the Tyson Frizzells and and to a lesser extent, Lachlan Fitzgibbon, who are still, you know, I, 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 I was a Lachlan Fitzgibbon fan. Uh, still, Andy's a very nice man, but he's, um, uh, but, you know, it is a frustrating experience watching some of his uh, highs meet his lows. Uh, in in in, um, in first grade, and, um, but in, in one of the time, can I just, just unlucky Fitzgibbon, and the only reason I mention it now is because you've triggered my memory here. But it, it is frustrating watching Lockie. Um, and uh, it's funny, when you were saying before, you know how you used to refer to your Joust alumni? We, yes. we, we, uh, I, I stole this from another podcast, but we, we here at Bay 53, we refer to our good friends of the pod. Um, yes. And good friend of the pod and uh, Looney Clunes insider uh, at Harvey G, he actually pointed out, if you go back and watch one of the many tries, I think it might even be the short side try by Manly. Um, if you just focus on Lockie Fitzgibbon, the um, the laziness in his effort in tracking back to create the opening is just so disappointing to watch. And I don't say that to criticise Lockie or to sort of uh, hang him out to dry. I say that because you're right, three or four years ago, the potential that was there and that season we saw, he was just running off Kalen's hip. We were like, well, like the the sky's the limit for this guy. Like he's on such a great trajectory, and something's happened over the last uh, two or three years where he's just, I don't know if he doesn't respond to O'Brien's coaching or if I, I don't know if he got he, he definitely got found out. He definitely got um, sort of like teams got a lot more wiser to him, and it's almost like he got to the point where he's like, well, teams know what I do, and I don't know what else to do, so he doesn't do anything. Yeah, and, that, and, that's, and we still see glimpses of it, well, obviously, against the Manly game where, you know, Ponga did step on the outside. He knew the hole to run, offloaded to Wala, creates mm. the try for Ponga. Uh, mm. And, you know, that's, that's wonderful to see if we just saw more of it. Mm. Uh, and yeah. But it, it, as soon as his connection with, uh, with, with Ponga, you know, in, in, I think it was uh, – I remember when we had him on the Joust in 2019, and I believe he was one try short of – catching his uh, good friend uh, Nathan Ross's uh, 23 tries. He was on 22 tries at that point um, in his relatively short NRL career, uh, 20, uh, being very strong in 2017-18. And, uh, and then now, if you look at his total tries, I think, it's, I think he's only up to 27 or 28. And this is yeah, now right. three, years, three years later. So, yeah. uh, and look, it, there's definitely more to his position than scoring tries. Him scoring tries was definitely an added bonus of his mm. game. Mm. But um, there, as you said, uh, if, you, if you watch certain aspects of his game, it, it, it seems like whether through injury or through, uh, through just regular like, uh, cohesion with his uh, other defenders, it seems like there's something, uh, something missing at times. And as those times build up, uh, it will, I do have a comment more broadly, which I think... Um, uh, which, which speaks a little bit about why Newcastle, why possibly Newcastle Knights. It's more of a working theory. If you if you allow me to share it, I, I, I promise I won't dredge the listeners 
too uh, too long. Um, it basically it just thinks that our club, the way that our club is so well supported by uh, the people that turn up every week, but also uh, the people that feel very much attached to the club, feel very much attached to the players, which I don't think necessarily happens in other areas for other clubs. I think we have a deep emotional attachment to the players because we really want to see them do well. We want to share their successes and we feel their failures with them. Mm. But in, in turn, when that happens and we find ourselves in a rough patch of form, which we're certainly in now, it becomes much harder to, to let go of these players. It becomes, uh, when we're looking at recruitment and retention, Newcastle Knights supporters, uh, and I'm, I'm one of them, want to sign every player in the market, but don't want to let any of our players go. Mm. We, want to have a, we want to have a squad of 50 uh, and, <laughs> and, and still reward the people that have put in for us, like Lockie Fitzgibbon, who was, who's been there and uh, through the, the darker times and have come out and seen some final series. We don't necessarily want to see him be put out to pasture or go to another mm. club. Uh, we want to see everyone stay. And that, I think, is, a, is a, a indicative of a side that's, that's really attached to their team. But also, it makes it difficult because I think that even bleeds into the club itself to be like, you're a fan favourite and we're going we're gonna to um, have you stick around. I think one change we've seen from that is seeing someone like Mitch Barnett uh, move on to the Warriors next year. Because mm-hmm. Mitch Barnett almost, you know, he was players players player two years in a row, I think in mm. 17, 18 or 18, 19, and, and he was one of the first players to be re-signed under Brown all the time. He seemed like a player that could play here until his until his early 30s and then say, thanks very much, guys, I'm out. Yeah. Uh, and and one of those players, again, on his day, he looks magnificent, and on his off day, you, you know, you think, uh, would he make another team starting 13? So... Mate, you've um, you've triggered me a little bit with Lockley, Lockley Fitzgibbon, or at least you've you flicked something in the back of my brain. I, I want to read some numbers to you from Friday night's um, from Friday night's game. So of our uh, of our of our starting forward pack, I'm not including Jaden Braley, but forward pack and uh, bench forwards. I want to read some running meters to you. 195, 152, 104, 132, 115, 46, 40, and zero. Which of those uh, numbers do you think were run by Lachlan Fitzgibbon? I believe it's the one in, in the 40s. However, yeah. um, he, are you, one thing about Lachlan Fitzgibbon, he is an 80-minute back rower. No, and that is correct. So, um, and, but he, he went off with a shoulder injury in the second half. So That is he, correct. Uh, no, that is correct. Uh, so um, he does. He does. He doesn't like uh, dump uh, his. I was going to say dump his load. That would have been an interesting <laughs> choice of. Uh, That's definitely going to air. <laughs> he doesn't uh, put all of his. Uh, you know, he paces himself for eighty minutes. You know, he's not a player that's going to be taking two hit ups in a set because he's got to be out there for eighty. True. And whether that's to his own detriment and things like that. So taking him off early would probably uh, mess with his uh, ability to 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 clock um, to clock eighty minutes. But at the same time, that's not an unusual stat to see him low on the running meters. No, you're right. He um, <laughs> it's funny between him and Brody Jones, they ran forty meters for the game. Uh, Lockie came off in the fifty-first minute. Brody Jones was an interesting thing. He didn't touch the ball in twenty-eight minutes that he was out there. Dreadful, dreadful, dreadful performance from Brody. He's fallen off a huge cliff this year. He puts in that same thing of, of we obviously fell in love with him last year with his efforts. 
and we were so excited to see a player that's from uh, out west. I think he's from the Cessnock area, yep. uh, Curry Curry. And then we think this is great. He's a hard worker and he's, he's managed to, to get over the line sometimes and, and fill in for centre in the Sharks game last year. Um, and uh, and just look like a regular first grader. And it's like, look at this great talent we've uncovered. Mm. Now he's, he's not making the side as much when he is. He's not doing those sorts of things. How long do we persist with the Brady Jones? So, so this is actually something that um, – because you've hit on a bugbear. Well, it's not a bugbear of mine, but um, or a consistent one. But certainly – because uh, Andrew Johns described the dysfunctional relationship that is the Knights to their fans when he said, you know, they feed off each other and, you know, they, they rely on each other. I was like, yeah, we're, we're, that, that is a codependent relationship, mate. But part of that codependency is the inability to let something go – that you otherwise should, not necessarily that it's causing you harm, but uh, I mean, you're waiting every day for them to change when all signs indicate that it's never going to happen. And that's one of the things that we actually, ha- I mean, I'm reluctant to, and actually I want to, cause I want to talk about Phoenix Crossland. Phoenix Crossland is a perfect example of this because Phoenix, Phoenix is that classic Newcastle Knights player that will disappoint um, for a lean, an extended period of time, and then just when you've given up hope, he'll play like he get he'll play like he did against the um, Roosters on Friday night. And you go, oh, there it is. No, it is still there. Maybe I was wrong about it. no, no. And and this isn't even a criticism of Phoenix. It's it's actually it is an inability of the club to properly um, regulate not regulate but to sort of like properly. Uh, utilize their players or to consist to breed consistency in their players mm-hmm. it's clear that the talent's there with phoenix we've all known that but yeah. the knights are not getting it out of him yeah so rightly or wrongly the knights are not the club for phoenix you look at josh king josh king was a sort of hit and miss player you know the talent was supposedly there i mean the criticism that he got from the fans myself included absolutely but he had to go to a different club in order to reach that that's not a criticism of the knights it's not a criticism of josh king it's just a simple reality sometimes players don't work at clubs and for too often what we do as a club is we hold onto the players for too long on what might be to the detriment of both parties i totally agree i think there's a lot of worth in that. And I think for Knights supporters to be able to see that we're not getting value out of this certain player, but if he goes to another club and plays better, that's not necessarily... That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. And, that, and I think that's... I'll tell you what, clubs that are more successful consistently... And I speak from about my passion for the Newcastle Knights. I come from such... With my criticism, I come such a place of love. Like, you know, I, mm. I want this club so badly to do better. And I start to compare them to clubs that seem to be more successful every year. And they might drop off slightly, but then they find a way to be more successful again. If you look at uh, teams like, the, the obviously, the recent Panthers, Roosters historically, Melbourne Storm. The play, there are teams out there, Carlo, right? There are supporters of clubs that will talk about the grand finals they should have won. Melbourne Storm will say, oh, we should have won in 2018. To think about the beauty of having grand finals in your memory and you think, oh, I sh- we should have won that one. Mm. I can't even conceptualise that. To think that, we, that to be in a position of a grand final and then think, oh, that one. But I tell you what, there's another one around the corner. And we're only a couple of years off another another opportunity like that. So I, it, it would just... So I was... Yeah, you go, you go. 
Oh no, it would just—it's just such a different mindset. And I think how yeah. can how can the club I support become one of those clubs? How can we we do that? And I think there is a lot in in realizing that uh, each year is is basically your job interview for the following year. And uh, and if you're not meeting expectations, uh, you get moved on with no uh, malice, with no sort of like I hope you know we're, we're discarding you. It's just that you're not fitting into our puzzle. Uh, and we need this puzzle to work because we've got uh, we've got fans to that that have supported us and, and uh, right through this period, and we want to we want to give them something back. And I think the Knights are one of the clubs that really don't like uh, risking it for for that um, that we would prefer to hold them. Uh, think, oh, maybe just next year they'll come good. Oh, they're covering a bit of an injury. Oh, next year they they might they might come back fresher and and. I can't think of a player offhand necessarily that, that does that. That has been a success story in the later stages of their life. I think we hold I think we value players too strongly for what they have put into the club and then we hang on to them one or two years too long. You know what it is, um, Nagy, Knights fans and the and the Newcastle Knights Club, in a lot of ways we're sort of we're very much Captain Jack Sparrow in that we're always chasing the horizon. We're always yeah. setting our, so- our eyes for something that actually doesn't exist. And for me, our horizon is trying to recapture what worked in 97 and 2001. Like you hear it so, and like you hear it so often, oh, Clem is our new Chief Harrigan. Or, uh, and I do it myself, oh, Kalen Ponga, you know, he's the he's that next superstar that we've needed since Andrew Johns. We don't need another Chief Harrigan. We don't need, sorry, we don't need the next Chief Harrigan. We don't need the next Bill Peden. We don't need, they're doing it with Croaks as well. Oh, Matty Croak, yeah, he's that, he's that Bill Peden mould that we're, and I do this myself. We don't need the next version of those players. We need the next premiership winners. Yep. And Clark, like, say what you like about Melbourne, and I love to say what I like about Melbourne. <laughs> yeah. They are they did not win a premier. Their last premiership was not won the same way they won their first one. The the 2020 was completely different from the 1999 one. But we're still trying to wait for the set of circumstances that created 97 and 2001 to happen again. I completely agree, and uh, and I think we're uh, if we if we continue doing that. Uh, much like I felt in 05 uh, and 06, the game changed, and I felt it happened again about 10 years later, and we were one of the last teams to adapt to it. I feel like we, uh, we're, uh, we are slow to... Uh, when, when better teams are, are quicker to understand new rules, uh, understand how the game is moving past... Uh, you know, in 04, 05, it all became about the wrestle. You know, and I think we were mm. too slow to understand that. And then by the time mm. we caught up, it moved on to something else. It moved on to the fullback being your, your, your second 5'8", uh, and having to, to always create the overlap. Uh, it, from there, it just seemed to continue to shift. Now we've got rule changes happening much faster, and the better teams are showing gamesmanship, whether it be the use of the challenge, whether it be uh, the, the six again and knowing when to be able to lay on the rack. You know, the Roosters did it in 2018 with milking penalties on their um, on their line, just knowing that mm. they could get, just they could reset and, and and things like that. But they're not still milking penalties on their line. They they've adapted again to be able to take advantage of the rules at any uh, as they change. I don't think the Newcastle Knights uh, are, are up in that echelon of being adaptive. I think we're still 
focusing on trying to uh, trying to, to to get our maybe it's our interchange getting our big men off uh, faster and focusing on um, who can stay out there long enough so they're not big targets uh, for the faster pace game. I think we're we're, we're approaching it way too defensively. And other mm. clubs are approaching it with offense and, uh, and and choosing their squads appropriately. I'm no expert. I just love the game. But more than that, I love the community. If you're a fan of rugby league or the NRL, you'll love Big T's Tees. Unique, affordable, and made for fans. Find a link to the online store in the show notes below. You'd look good in one of Big T's Tees. Um, I don't know if this is what you're talking about, but uh, what I'm hearing from you is I think that's sort of similar to why Bretto is a big fan of the Jason Heathering. Jason? Jason Heather? Jack Heathering. Jack, Jack Heathering. Jack, Jason, Jack, Jason yeah. Heathering hasn't played for 20 years. But Jack <laughs> Heatherington signing, he's like, he's like, that, that, that's the signing that you make when you, that's the risk you take when you want to be better. Like that's yeah. the that's the sh- that's you going for you know no one no one ever um no one ever won a basketball game by playing it safe at the end you go for your shot you know shoot or shoot he says that's the signing you make if you want to take a risk okay it might not pay off but if it does that's what's going to separate us from the clubs who are just middling or um continuously just dis- disappointing. I thought against the Roosters it showed uh it's like I I thought they there's there's the times where they broke us through the middle, they had a smorgasbord of players in support. They could mm. have chosen uh, Tedesco breaks through the middle, and he looks left and right, and he picks he could pick A, B, or C to give the pass to. Yep. Edric Lee. Edric Lee makes the break, our our first break for the game, uh, and he looks to his right. Phoenix Crossland's there, but Phoenix Crossland has to make up so much ground that Edric Lee has to come in field ten meters to pass the ball to him to make sure that pass sticks. Uh, and yeah. And that sort of um, that just showed how far behind in attack, whether it be that point in the game, they're fatigued and they're not expecting, you know, they're not running those support plays. But much like without looking in the past, but if you look at someone uh, like Tedesco is there for the one percent, he's there all the time. You don't notice him when the ball doesn't come out. You just it, it, the play resets and he disappears again. Uh, but he's there so often, so he makes it look like he's a magician when he catches it. How did he mm. know the ball's coming up? Because he's there all the time. Uh, yeah. and, and, and you can see it, that's it, not even a natural Caelan Ponga game, but they're trying to coach that into him being there. And you see him on the fourth tackle just hover around the ruck. Ball's not going to come out, and if he gets it, he's getting it with his feet square because the player's not even looking to pass it to him. It's something yeah. that they're trying to manufacture to copy a better side rather than possibly looking at uh, the players that do that naturally in their game and supporting that sort of aspect of their game. The offloading in the Roosters game just really highlighted to me. And again, I say this with love because I really want the Newcastle Knights to do well. I want them to be able to compete at home and make it the fortress um, that, that we all hope it to be. But when you look at the offloading game of the Roosters, it always went to players with a plan or with feet moving. And when the offloads went to the Knights, we got a standing square and we looked left and right. And it, it became like a, a clear thing that one one team is has their foot down in attack, uh, despite what the scoreboard is, and the other team uh, is is just hoping to, to get through the set. You know, there's this almost this, 
we just got to get through our, our workload to, to we're, we're not even going to be thinking about scoring points until we're up the other end. When we're in their red zone, then we're going to set up. Uh, and and that kind of, um, those, those two different mentalities really show uh, uh, why, you know, when we have in that first 10 minutes against the Roosters, when we had all the ball, all the penalties are going our way, we're down their end and we, we get two points out of that. And then as soon as the Roosters manage to swing, they look dangerous from our red zone, mm. their red zone, middle of the field, and they look like they could score at any point. So it, it's actually funny that you should say that about our attack versus theirs. I mean, they, they scored their first try in the 16th um, minute, and we'd, we'd actually been attacking for the majority of the game until then. You know what concerned me the most about our attack for the first 70 minutes on Friday night was our attack was actually so bad, it's the first time I thought they might actually be like, are they doing this on purpose? Like it's the first time and the only other time I've sat and watched this team play and thought to myself, oh, they're, they're sending a message here, was that that Campbelltown game in two, the, the end of the Brown era in 2019. That was the vibe. That was the vibe I was getting from the players in the first 70 minutes. Probably because you on the wing, I think it was. Yeah. Really? I believe it was, um, yeah, yeah. that was just the game I remember where David Clemmer made the break downfield and he gets tackled. And I, I'm still not sure whether he slowed down or he t- anyway, but he made that break at Campbelltown and he sort of couldn't, um, he, he, he almost scored. But it's the first time I've watched us play so poorly. I thought, well, they're paid professionals who can't be this bad at their job. Are they doing this on purpose? Um, and because after those first 70 minutes, and granted, Roosters rested a couple of their players for yep. the last 10, we started to show what we could do. Yeah. And, and, and I was like, where's that been for 70 minutes, boys? So, yeah, there, there, were, there were a couple of signs on Friday night where I was, it's the most concern I've been about this team this season. And that says a lot because I was actually with Adam O'Brien when he said after the 50 points against Melbourne, I know this will sound stupid, but I actually saw some really positive signs because I agreed with him. Sometimes the yeah. score is the score. It doesn't reflect anything more than the result. But sometimes there are things you can see where you can take. I took – there were no, there were just no negative – there were no positives on Friday night. There was nothing yeah. positive about that game. And that's what concerned me the most. And I think when we're reaching this point in the season, which, you know, some people that might be listening and thinking, gee, well, Maggie's got something, something – he's – He's given up. He's given up on them. And it's not a give up. It's a want to be better. Yeah, no, it's not. We've, we've, look, I think as a fan base, we really need to mature to the extent that – and I actually said this to a few of the um, – to a few of the um, our followers the other night. I said one of the reasons we started this podcast – was simply that, well, to start with, Bretto and I, we just love talking about footy. Like, we, we get excited about it, and I love hearing his opinion. And there were a couple of people who were like, yeah, we don't mind hearing it either. I was like, great. But the other reason as well was we really wanted to, and we don't mean any disrespect to any other sort of fan forums out there. This is what we wanted to achieve. We wanted to give a platform for people to participate in an ability to go, we're going to be better than drop this player analysis. We're going yes. to be better than sack this coach perspective. If you want to sack O'Brien, okay, why? Tell us what that's going to achieve. 
Don't exactly. don't just say it's clearly not working. Punt the coach because let me tell you what the because this is something we discussed with some of um, some of our listeners straight after the game on on Friday was this is the scenario that the Knights are faced with if they want to sack O'Brien. We're going to be a little bit better and maybe the Bulldogs, or we're going to be considerably worse and we're going to be the Tigers. So you want to sack O'Brien? Okay, what's your follow up plan? What's that going to achieve? And you even said it before. You want to sign this player. Okay, who are you letting go? Do you know how long their contract has been running for? Do you know if we've got the salary cap space to get a, a Cam Munster or a, a TPJ or whoever it might be? You know, you know, people who want to criticise this team and the way it's run and the things that should be done, we live in this this sort of fantasy land where we just go, you know, salary caps don't exist and player squads have no limits and there's just this endless bottomless well of coaches that we can just draw from and it's it's not always the case i think if there was a time uh when you look at any coach's performance over one year you know every year could be uh your your last because that's such a brutal profession uh you know you only have to look at the likes of paul green who was you know grand final winner in 15 they made the grand final again in 17 sacked in 19 you know like what's the uh, famous saying there are two types of coaches those who have been sacked and those who are about to be uh, waiting to be sacked (laughs) and and it's very true i would think sacking o'brien now would be one of the worst decisions ever unless they had a contingency plan of something better which i don't think exists at the time at at the moment because you only have to Mm. look at the clubs that have sacked their coach that are still either uh, doing the Tigers the biggest 360 in the world over the last 10 years to re-sign Tim Sheens, the man they sacked initially for not being able to get to the finals. <laughs> to talk quickly about the Tigers, just to be able to give context as well to, to the Newcastle Knights and to be like, okay, look, things are bad at the moment, but we could be the Tigers. At least we had shown, uh, at least the decision to sack Brown netted us some final series. Now, whether that is Adam O'Brien's coaching or just the, the squad that they had available is one thing. However, if you look at the Tigers in 2012 to sack uh, Tim Sheens, uh, only to go on to to Mick Potter, Jason Taylor, um, Cleary, and then Michael uh, Maguire, to come back to the same man with no final series, no looking any better to make the finals in that time. But within that big 360, you've got a couple of little 360s because Potter uh, lost Benji Marshall, and then Jason Taylor fell on his sword to sack uh, Robbie Farrell, only for those players to come back and the next coach and Ivan Cleary. So not even within a squad have they developed. They've gone around this big circle in a squad and around a big circle in the club and then back to where they were 10 years ago with nothing to show for it. Now, there's growth within this club and this is what what needs to be held on to, to say that there are players within this side that can do enough to, to get into that final arena, which is really what we're we're all hoping for because it doesn't really matter where you finish because you're always within uh, within a shot and we showed that against um, you know uh, Parramatta last year to be we you know we were well within that game to win it and it was and and we could have but I don't also want to be a club that looks back on years and years and years and says it's onlys oh, we could have mm. oh and and last night there was a bit of that so last night on Friday night there was a bit of that with the, what if Edric Lee took that ball. Uh, what if Edric mm. snatched that uh, off uh, Momorowski? Mom- 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 What's his name? Yeah, Momorowski. Yeah. If he got that, he would have been away. We could have got a try. And it's like, we've got to stop focusing on the could-ofs and start focusing on the, the next opportunities, you know? Yeah. Because uh, successful clubs don't look back and say, we could have. We could have done this and we could have done that. They just make it work over the 
over the 80 minutes. I'm not expecting the Newcastle Knights to play out of their skin against teams that we're not expected to beat. But I am expecting them, my expectation is for them to play well uh, in, 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 and play to their, their full uh, potential. And that's not asking too much because uh, we're, we're starting to get very comfortable with losing by a lot. Uh, and that's a dangerous feeling to, to get into as a supporter. It's a dangerous expectation to set going into games to assume that, oh, well, we'd be lucky if we can come away with a win here. And there, we have a real opportunity next week against the Dogs, who, although they won against the Titans, and they're, they're showing uh, some real Oh, mate, with... please don't. don't do... the, but the, dog, mate, well, the Dogs are the biggest favourites the next weekend. I know, I know, I know, and it's a home... You know better than anyone else the second uh, game against the Dogs at home and what happens. You know what I mean? Like, Correct. This is... One thing we got in our favour that has happened that, that hasn't happened in the last few years is that we're not going in expected to win, uh, yeah. and and uh, because you know that, that's almost been a horror story game for so many reasons. It always brings out injuries. Obviously, reason uh, Slade Griffin in, in uh, a rainy game uh, in 2019, and then uh, losing Connor Watson and um, and Andrew McCulloch. Uh, and in, in another rainy game. So look, let's, let's pray for a dry weather game and hopefully that Uber can... Uh, the famous, the, the famous uh, post-game K-Dog uh, game was the Bulldogs mm. 2020 where I was saturated to the bone uh, and just sitting there contemplating my existence, <laughs> realising that this is it. This is I my lot as a Knights fan. Um, look, Nagy, I want to... I, I sort of... I want, I want to put a bit of a ribbon or a bit of a bow in the Knights um, topic, if only because, I mean, you know, we really could um, we really could go to town on the Knights. And, and I don't think you and I are here to do that. And, and no. for anybody who's still listening, uh, both of you, um, I, I probably want to reiterate a bit what Nagy said. A lot of what we're sort of saying here isn't to say that um, we're losing faith in the team or that we, we're sort of – it's more – I go back to the original idea that um, we want to look at, um, well, how can we as fans participate in making this team better? Nagy, uh, I think you've you sort of already answered it. You think O'Brien will see out this year, and I, I think I think things could get worse to precipitate him being punted before the season's out. I, I think there's the expectation of the club looking at the next over the next six games. There's three winnable games. Dogs, yep. Titans, Tigers, and I think the results. Are oh, Titans! No, I dis I disagree with all of those. I don't think any of those are winnable. Uh, dogs always win in Newcastle. We never win at Campbelltown, and Titans always violate us up at the uh, Gold Coast. That might be very much the case, and that's very true, especially uh, the Titans up there. It's uh, we we travel terribly up there. However, when you look at the table. Those are the expectation wins that the club will have over Adam O'Brien's uh, appointment, and so if the dogs are, are the dogs are above us on the table now, they are two steaming spot, uh, spots ahead of us now. And they are, and I'm sure the the uh, uh, the people signing Adam O'Brien's uh, paychecks will assume that they shouldn't be, and that's the the culturally where we are. The, the expectation is that. We can beat those teams because we've yeah. beaten them earlier in the season, and uh, yeah. and uh, and and so whether that's right or wrong for that expectation to be there, that will map out Adam O'Brien's future. Now, I, as I, I sort of indicated earlier, I don't believe Adam O'Brien being sacked now is the 
the I don't think we'll have the circuit break that we need for um, for the remainder of the year or 2023. But okay. it's it, it, but it's still going to be considered as an option, and those voices will get louder if if we go winless in the next six games. Hey, um, just before we move on from um, from O'Brien, I saw someone suggest that uh, Mick Potter is going well at the Bulldogs and free next year. The Knights should think about looking at him. <laughs> well, well, it's, and I just it, it it made me laugh. I mean, it, that in isolation made me laugh. But the other thing I thought was funny as well, because you've just refreshed my memory. Well, this is a guy who had a failed attempt at coaching at the Tigers, and he prolonged their non-finals appearance. Yep. And he's having this this lucky run where he's an interim coach with zero expectations, saying to his players, "Yeah, just go out through." Mate, their, their defense has been horrific under him. Um, mind you, it wasn't good under Barrett either. But they're just throwing the ball around because they've got nothing, no expectations on them. And I'm like, I don't give a shit what you think about O'Brien. I am not trading him down for Mike Mick Potter. No, thank you. No, no, it would definitely be, you know, it would be, uh, you know, it would be a step down. I think, like, I don't know Mick Potter or, 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 um, or really even know his coaching style because of how long it's been since he's uh, coached in uh, first grade, but. I can't see that being a viable option to move us closer no. to, to success. No, that's ridiculous. Um, give me your two early predictions for 2023, not so much in terms of what you think the Knights will do, but given the set of players that we've got with the two that are coming in, um, if O'Brien is still in charge, what do you think the expectations on him should be for next season? I think if we're looking forwards, we need to look uh, at what this season, what's worked and what hasn't. And I think there's been... Um, I'm hoping that Milford's decision to leave is enough for the Knights to really attack the market as far as finding a half that suits our style. Now, if... if oh, agreed. So if Milford says, I'm going to stay, that sort of allows the waters to remain calm and they think, well, he's our guy. And I don't think Milford... Uh, I think he's a very talented player, but I think he showed in Brisbane in his final years he doesn't like being the guy. He prefers being the second guy that doesn't have to do the X's and O's of the team. He likes to eject himself when he wants to, and he doesn't necessarily play well at this stage in his career under pressure. So yes. I think I think the question really uh, looks at the kind of player that we get on the market in the halves. Whether I do have a question regarding what's happening with Dylan Pythia, because he seemed to be doing very well in, in New South Wales Cup, and now he doesn't seem to be playing at all. Uh, so I... I do have a question there, but um, that that's more of a, a depth focus because I don't think um, I think every year we seem to go without a halfback for eight weeks. It seems to be something that we do. Uh, so it's important to have someone to be able to fill the shoes uh, in that time. Uh, so anyway, I, I think the big question mark is to what what we put in the halves because obviously Braley's going to be there, Pong is going to be there, uh, you know, Adam Clune. I, I think he's probably the best talker out of out of Milford, Clifford, and and that. But uh, but is he our seven or is he our depth seven? I don't know. No, um, he's not. And and this is what irritates me is there's some there's, there's commentary as well going around. It's like well, well no, there's not commentary. There's one in particular commenter, and I I'm reluctant to give it any airtime. But but you, you can't be critical of the Knights for signing Adam Clifford. We signed him as a backup. He's a great backup half. Now, whatever you think about whatever you think about the Mitchell Pierce departure, you can't keep a, a high-priced player around who actively said to you, "I don't want to be here." 
So they undenied it. They thought about it. And if any other club does the right thing by Mitchell Pearce, they are celebrated for looking out for the welfare of the of the the happiness of the player. But when it's the Knights, oh, look at how bad you guys are recruiting. Oh, you've got no redundancy. And Adam Clune's thrown into it. He's like, I was brought in to be your backup halfback, guys. Yeah. I'll try and step yeah. up as much as I can, but you're going to get what you get. You're going to get. You're getting what you paid for. So it's, it's, ridiculous. it's ridiculous to me that the criticism of the Knights were relying too much on Adam Clune. Like, well, what the fuck else were we going to do? Hundred percent. I agree that I, I think Clune has. Uh, you know, I thought he he started the season well. He played injured through the middle, and he's come back and and he's tried his guts out. And there's games like. Uh, you know, he makes good decisions out there, I think, for the most yeah. part. I thought it was disappointing against the Roosters, him throwing uh, a forward pass uh, during a, a really uh, important time. But at the same time saying that, he uh, shows against the Titans where he can adapt and play, you know, I hate saying it, eyes up football. And, uh, and, and <laughs> choose, choose, the right, uh, um, uh, choose the right option. And so you can see sort of glimpses of that. If he had a, a, a player inside of him at six to play well, I would um, I would be confident in, in, in thinking that he plays a valuable role because like what I said a moment ago, when we had Mitchell Pierce, Mitchell Pierce constantly, or at least for two out of the four seasons, had this, you know, eight to ten week gap uh, in in uh, in his availability. And so if we look towards a more experienced time, if we go to the market and we try to do um, we try to do a uh, a Cowboys and sign someone that's uh, a little bit more experienced, or we do a Brisbane Broncos, we try to emulate that. Uh, we're going to end up uh, still with a period where where there's going to be no of that halfback, just out of the, the injury curse, and we're going to have to rely on someone like Clune, who's going to be experienced enough to fill the shoes. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to so. If you're looking really towards 2023, there is still a big question mark over what we do with our seven and six. Uh, that, that's so we're all, we're all we're all in on the money train, the money monster train. Get um get big cam to Newcastle, because we've yeah. got all of this cap space available. We've just paid relative, and I say yeah. relative unders for Kalen Ponga, so we should have a bucket load of money to say, look, we know you you want to go to Dolphins. But if money is that important to you, we can pay you more than what they're going to offer you. Why don't you give us a thought? I think uh, I, I think pinning hopes on someone like Cameron Munster to the Knights uh, is we, you know, we may as well hope for um, Joey to come back and, and put the boots back. I do I that on a regular basis, so you're in good company. <laughs> I don't think um, it's a viable option because I really don't think it's, it's going to happen. However, I do think there. Nagy, you haven't. I'm going to put you haven't answered my question yeah, though. I want please. to know expectations for 2023. What are the expectations on Adam O'Brien and these nights in 2023? Um, I before only, we, I can only assume that we have the players that we currently have, uh, yep. and uh, and assuming that uh, if Braley and Ponga are playing. Uh, injury-free coming back, and we that means we will have Clune. I don't know. I think for all uh, what I hear about Clifford, is he's um, probably not going to be with the club after this year uh, due to personal reasons, which I'm, I'm not going to, to get into or hold him account for because these sorts of things happen here as a human. Uh, uh, yeah. So um, assuming that it's uh, uh, Adam Clune plus someone else, uh, and with Ponger and Braley there, I think we'll do slightly better than we are this year. We'd, we might hover around 10th. Uh, and that's, yeah, I uh, think that's what I think. I think 10, I think um, 
that that sort of 10 to 12 region is really what we should be aiming for next year. It completely changes if we sign a half that we think that could add value. And now I know there's lots of Luke Brooks talks. I don't think we now need to necessarily look as, as far as Luke Brooks if we bring someone to the club that has experience, that's not a young player, uh, but probably hasn't given the uh, got the best opportunity in other clubs. Uh, I think someone um, like uh, Drew Hutchinson, I think, has value like this as a halfback. He's played there for a season. He still cooks 40-20s from the Roosters off the bench. Someone like that, we need to start exploring those sorts of options to strengthen our half mm. stocks because it, there seems to be uh, a, a big uh, a big gap. I think, yeah, Ponga, Borelli, full strength, 10th. Uh, if one of those gets injured, we could, we could hit spoon time again. Yeah, I, I, I um, Bredo and I were big on uh, uh, Brooks to Newcastle earlier this year. Um, I think he's too damaged now. I, I think um, you know, there's a diff. If you're talking about calculated risks, the Knights signing Luke Brooks is a cry for help. I, I just don't think that that's um, that's something that works. Um, I hope, for, I hope for Luke Brooks's own sake that he signs somewhere else because the Tigers, if the Tigers don't buy next year, he's going to uh, have a big target on his head. And I don't. Oh, think it's just, just so toxic for him. He doesn't deserve that. I hope he goes to another club, whether it's Newcastle, but even if it's another club, and just plays well because as 27, he's in that dangerous period in his career that if he hits 28 and it's like he costs too much money and he's never gotten into the finals and he's or, you know he's just going to end up. Uh, having the whole weight of the Tigers in the last 10 years on his uh, mm. shoulders, which he shouldn't have because there's been, as I even said, within that, that same 10-year period, Robbie Farrow and Benji Marshall have come out and back in, but you never hold Robbie Farrow or Benji Marshall accountable for those 10 years of honest free football for the Tigers either. Yeah, agreed. Mate, uh, uh, Luke Brooks is the perfect segue. Uh, mm. We'll move into, we'll, pr- we'll probably look to try it, we'll wrap things up shortly. Sure. Mate, uh, uh, what is it? Are they going? Are we going to call it Challenge Gate? The Tigers, for all intents and purposes, had uh, beaten uh, the Cowboys uh, up at Townsville for James Tarmow's three uh, hundredth game. Uh, the ref appears to blow full time. Technically, doesn't blow his whistle for full time. Uh, could Ch- Ch- Chad Townsend challenge? Uh, yes, he could. He did, and uh, the. The uh, Cowboys steal the two points after eighty. Well, after eighty minutes, were the Tigers robbed? Naggy Nagwell yes. ticks on the top. They, t- they were. Yep. All right. This, this is a classic case of uh, the the unconscious bias of uh, of thinking that one side should beat another and pushing the narrative into allowing that to happen. I think if um, if, if the, another seller dweller, the Cowboys have come from that position upwards. You know, it was only Todd Payton complaining about this in round four, uh, only for his club to see the benefit of it. Uh, we, we've, we've often seen coaches talk about how the referees coach to a way to assume that what is expected is going to happen. And when things get upset, it, uh, it, it doesn't work out and, and the rules shift. And whether it's also another example of... of players being ahead of the adjudicators in the rules, knowing exactly what they can do to uh, take a risky play uh, and and then uh, ask the referee and say, oh, please, you know, oh, we, we should have this review because I think there's been something, there's been a, we've been, uh, there's been an issue there that, that hasn't been explored and I, I, want, um, I want that to be explored. Then the pressure's on. It's a pressure moment for the adjudicators. You are listening to the Bay 53 Podcast. 
I will I will slightly divert from this to talk about the reason why the adjudicator the, the referees in the game are so weak is because the broadcasters are so strong. <laughs> oh, but, absolutely. I mean, I mean this in, in the nicest possible way because I want to hear the ref bash. It's they've put in they've been put in a position where the man on the ground who is watching it with his eyes and has mm. two two other supporting referees sees less than the person sitting at home because the person sitting at home has the uh, the the opportunity to see everything that the broadcasters show them. So uh, and then when that gets put on the big, big screen again, then suddenly you've got thousands of fans seeing more than the referee could. So then you've been uh, knowing that the media is going to come after this and overanalyze this and have these even sorts of discussions that we're having now. The pressure goes on and they take always the easy option. And the easy option is make sure that the team that's supposed to win the game wins it. Because mm. then that because then the, the, the waters remain calm and everyone keeps their job. It's only when the, the, the team that shouldn't have won it wins it uh, <laughs> that, uh, that people get uh, sat down for a few weeks. It's, um, it's the joker in the dark night. Yep. You know, when, uh, when Melbourne and Penrith win off uh, dodgy decisions, everybody car- carries on because it's all part of the plan. The plan. But the yep. Tigers are beating the Cowboys up at Townsville and everybody loses their minds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I honestly think there's, there's a bit, and, and it's the, the fear that's in, instilled in, in the referees is because uh, it, everyone that's watching the game has more, has a greater perspective on what's happened uh, then that, and they know it's going to be analysed. They already know that the commentators are telling uh, possibly millions of viewers exactly what's just happened, and they don't really know. So they have to rely on someone else. But the person in the bunker, they have all the options too. But now, if anything, they've got the they've got the worry that they can see everything that the audience sees. So now mm. their decision is is on a knife's edge as well. I think it's a, a it's a classic example of the rules changing too quickly. The coaches, the players. Uh, of, of prominent teams knowing that they can really push those grey areas uh, and, um, and the sufferers always seem to be the teams lower on the ladder. I feel for the Tigers there because they, I think they deserve that win. I think if we could, it could only happen to one other team and I think that's the Newcastle Knights because Knights. I felt like I felt like that uh, that was a, a classic thing to to happen to have. Uh, there were the there were a lot of there were some comments I was seeing where people were likening it to what. Ben Hunt did against the Raiders. The other, I, I think that's a bit of a. I don't think the two are. I, I think it's I don't, I, equivalent. I think there's similarities there, but I yeah, think that's what probably, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think you could really compare the two because um, focusing on the Tigers, Cowboys, you know, to have the game for all intents and purposes be over, and then saying mm. no, actually, we're not going to call the end of the game. We're going to look at this last thing. If anything, the Tigers were put in that situation because there was only one on the court. If there was 15 seconds on the clock, the whistle never blows, they go the next play, the bloke hits the ground, the game's over. Yeah. There's no break in the play. Yeah. Because there was, so they were a victim of circumstance, but you can guarantee that's not going to happen again. Uh, for and, and it's almost, you know, it's good that the, that the NRL can sort these things out uh, in a game like the Cowboys-Tigers so it doesn't ruin a grand final, but they need to be able to they need to be able to conceptualise these rules much more than they've um, allowed because now they're having their pants pulled down. Um, mm. my, my way to, to fix... <laughs> I know you guys have spoken about this before, about um, you know the awarding the try on, on field. 
and uh, and yourself and Brett are saying that now it's ruined that hooray moment. You've got to wait mm. until it's actually um, points uh, are put on on the board and tries confirmed. Um, I think it's it's one of the worst things to happen to the game because yeah, I I put my hand up on that one. I got that so I got that wrong. I originally liked the idea that you went with the ref's decision on the field because you could enjoy it in the moment. But as the seasons developed. I I just I just immediately wait until you see the little try confirmed in the bottom of the corner. And or, that's not exciting to wait for. for yeah, that's exactly right. Because when you're at the game now, when they score the try, I just laser straight to the referee and I wait yep. for him to walk behind the kicker. You you yep. can't enjoy any decision that's made on the field anymore because you're just waiting to see if it's overturned or not. I think the scoreboard should be sacred, and I don't think you should be able to take or remove points once they're up there. Uh, because yeah. it makes it, it, you get this feeling now that you know what happened to the Tigers. Even like, oh, we hit eighty minutes, the scores are finished. Oh no, way, we're going to give them another opportunity to score. Mm. Uh, and it, it makes it a little bit more. Uh, I don't. I think it's going to stop new fans coming to the game because they're going to be like, well, that's silly. Uh, that doesn't happen um, in other similar sports. I think um, I, it's. What I believe, this is my, uh, I know this is, I know we're getting late in the pod and I really thank everyone for sticking with me with all my ludicrous ideas. Uh, but it's just me and Bredo listening back at this stage, mate, <laughs> so you say whatever you want. I think uh, the way to fix rugby league uh, is to remove the right of the broadcaster to be able to expose errors because if they're not exposed, then, uh, then they're not shown and then there's no pressure on the referee and the referee can make confident decisions. Uh, yeah, completely agree. Completely so, agree. If you take away the slow motion replay and you don't give the commentators an opportunity to talk about what the referee missed, you just yep. move on with the game. I would rather see the third end players uh, drink from a water bottle and talk amongst themselves rather than focus on how the referee got that wrong. Because yeah, I, can there, put, I agree with that. If there's a small knock on, if there's a small infringement, whether it be a shepherd or something that wasn't evident to the play, to the to the referees on the field, um, then. That, and the try was given, the try was given, we need to move on. Because if it's a small 50-50 call, um, only exposed in slow motion, we're going to see more of this um, uh, going back, going back, and not, not moving forward with the game. And, and the game just stagnates when, you, when you're at the, at the Oval or you're, you're watching on TV and you're just thinking, this isn't, this isn't the game that I grew up with and I don't want to sound like an old person complaining, but it is important to sort of, uh, keep a certain flow and and keep moving forward and not be able to uh, dwell on mistakes of of an umpire or an umpire referee because then you lose confidence in his ability to adjudicate the game. As uh, as the great Andrew John says, um, and fuck anyone who who di- fuck anyone who disagrees with Joey. The game is not played in slow motion. Hey, um, exactly uh, Nagy. Right. Nagy, one other thing I do want to touch on before we we won't give it too much airtime. Uh, it sounds like a fair few Manly players have decided to ruin an otherwise uh, fairly good idea by uh, Manly to uh, have a uh, Pride jersey this weekend. Um, I just it's, it's another case of, uh, unfortunately, some footy players showing that they're not the most uh, uh, intelligent uh, people going around. Um, from what I understand... They're uh, using religious grounds to um, say that because we, we can't promote homosexuality, and um, it's just it's it's another one of those sort of uh, religious fallacies where they pick and choose the uh, the rules that they decide to um, to live their lives by. 
which is really unfortunate because rugby league is a game for the community. It's a game for people Correct. to be involved with. I think we've made Correct. such um, such important steps to be more inclusive uh, in in the last few years, especially focusing on the women's game. And I really uh, like what's happening in, in this space with the women's game and being able to to make it uh, give it its own place. So uh, and 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 celebrate its own athletes in its own right. Um, but at the same time. Uh, rugby league is, has, I believe, always been an inclusive game of the whole community. You only have to look at times where, um, you know, through the the start of the season, you know, you wear your colours, the, the the your your neighbour wears, you know, you're a Knights jersey, your neighbour's in St George's jersey. You're sort of uh, bickering over the fence. Come New South Wales time, then you're sitting on the same couch cheering for the same team, uh, cheering against the, the house across the road that's going for Queensland. Then Australia plays New Zealand, and then suddenly you're all together and you're all cheering, and you can chop and change the community each and every way. But the, the fact is that we all have our teams that we support uh, in in different sense, and that that's inclusive of all. Uh, mm. And it doesn't matter uh, what what it is. The love for rugby league needs to be supported uh, backwards. I said backwards. It needs to be supported each way uh, for for all the people that support. They give they give love and time to the game need to be um, supported. I don't think this is anything that should be a divisive issue. I think if this is trying to be an inclusive issue, I just think the the pride jersey for some people uh, seems to be a divisive. They see it as a thing of not being included or, or trying to include people they don't want. And to be honest, they need to be able to grow as a person to see that this is a game that we share and we love. We, this isn't a game to, to, to put in the box and say, this is what we've always been about. So it's, I'm, I'm hoping that if this uh, is unsuccessful uh, this year with Manly, that the NRL approach it in a different way and make this more of a, a significant event for all teams to be a part of. So all clubs in their own way can uh, can celebrate it. I think uh, I, I actually agree with you because I sort of thought the only thing that sort of surprised me about the Pride jersey, and it genuinely has surprised me that there's been uh, any sort of backlash to it, uh, particularly from players. I, I think the only thing that surprised me, I, I thought the women in league round was just a. I thought that I just thought that would be an odd weekend to do it. Like, do, you know, do, do it on another weekend. So, I think, but I think, yeah, the AFL have, uh, have done a pride round uh, for, for several years, and I think uh, it, it is to to be able to give back to to the community and be able to recognise that it is a diverse game with a diverse following. Uh, for for all Australians and people overseas as well, um, I think uh, the timing of it is probably um, it gives it an, an, an another reason for, for naysayers to say no. I don't think this is the right time to do it. But I, mm. I would argue that those same people that say this round isn't the right time wouldn't propose another round to do it. They would just want it out of sight and out of mind. Yeah, no, that's true. No, that's true. That's absolutely uh, true. Is, uh, I, I, I hope that you know rugby league can continue in its way to be able to transform the game to make it a real uh, inclusive for all because I know it's already supported by by all um, uh, in a broader sense in the community and I hope that's reciprocated and recognised by the NRL the same way that they've um, they've been making a lot of uh, ground in the women's game for the last um, uh, five or so years. Mate, we've um, we've we've been talking for a long time, and I honestly could keep uh, I actually could keep going. Um, I think the last thing that I do probably want to ask you about is, uh, and you have touched on the women's game again. We sort of ran out of time a little bit, but um, I, I will say this: it's 
It's actually a really exciting... It, it's a very exciting time to be a Newcastle Knights uh, NRLW fan, notwithstanding the fact that I'm deeply concerned about the Gillaroo's chances at the World Cup when all of their star players injure themselves playing for us this uh, this season. Um, but uh, have, you, have you been sort of... I, I haven't asked you about this, so if you don't like your answer, we can cut this out. But uh, have you been following the sort of Tamika Upton, Millie Boyle, the the uh, recruitment drive for the uh, Knights NRLW team. And, um, yeah, any thoughts on the upcoming season? I I was disheartened to see the the women's team, uh, you know, um, inaugural season um, struggle against other probably more more established players. Oh, fuck. I I don't think there's ever been as big a sliding door moment that I can think of other than Joey's broken back in 2002 for the Newcastle Knights than us not winning that first game against Parramatta. You know, to lose the first game to the first ever NRLW field goal was just, it was just classic Knights areas. Such a turning point for the season. I'm hoping with a strong recruitment drive and and then seeing some uh, more uh, some players coming because it's such a young game uh, coming coming to the Knights and being able to to really I think I, and I do believe that this year now will be bigger than last year and 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 um, mm. having a well because they're in the eight eight clubs are part of this year is that correct is uh, no I think it's still uh, I think it's still six this year eight next year. Eight next year, so it's it's it, but it's we're on the expand and and you know um, having uh, professional women in rugby league is a is a difficult uh, thing to get because you know it, history will show that um, the professional women uh, will uh, toad hop to where there is the most sort of um, you know if they're good at cricket and they're good at AFL and they're good at rugby league and they have it they 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 they, they choose which um, which, which code they're going to go for. So I hope that rugby league is, is strong enough in that uh, sense to sort of chase the success of um, uh, the AFL and be able to um, to to really bring uh, talented footballers to to the to the game uh, and be able to to show a real sign of strength there to be like we are the the uh, the premier code of, of mm. female sport. Oh, great. Uh, well. Uh... I think I think the NRLW will have a lot of uphill work to do in the face of the Women's World Cup coming to Australia and New Zealand next year. Mate, I wanna I wanna read out. This is um, good friend of the pod, Harvey G. Uh, sorry, at Harvey G. Who's um, I, I just want to read you this potential starting seven slash um, eighteen uh, player squad for the uh, NRLW uh, Knights team. So. Uh, one, Tamika Upton. Two, Autumn Rain Stevens Daly. Three, Bobby Law. Four, Kiana Takarangi. Five, Shanice Parker. Six, Kira Dibb. Now, at seven, you can have Jesse Southwell or Caitlin Moran. Now, the quality of that back line has actually um, forced our captain to move into the second row. So you've got Millie Boyle at eight, Olivia Higgins at nine, Caitlin Johnson at 10, Romy uh, Teitzel at 11, Yasmin Clydesdale at 12, Hannah Southwell at 13. Then you've got Emma Manzelman, uh, Taylor Predaban, Simone Carpani, Kyra Simon. Like there is, there is, that team is stacked. Yeah, yeah. Yasmin Clydesdale especially, I know she uh, she went from a very successful uh, touch football career into um, basically being launched straight into the, uh, the women's New South Wales team uh, and, and playing for the Roosters there, but also seeing this sort of uh, cyclical nature of having a former Newcastle Knights now wife coming back 
to to Newcastle, uh, where she's originally from, and, and playing back for the club should be something that's really celebrated. Uh, mm. it's, it's it wouldn't you know you would uh, it would be noticeable if it was the other way if Adam Clydesdale was making his debut once again, but because he's already yeah, of got course. It, his, uh, his history with uh, the Newcastle Knights and uh, as a professional NRL star, to see uh, him being, uh, I guess, uh, would just, it wouldn't be like a wag. He's a, is he a hag? I don't know. Like it was. Uh, <laughs> it's, he's a hag. It's a, like, uh, it's a little bit like Hillary. Uh, she got into the White House in 2016 with Bill there. You know what I mean? Like he had his time and she yeah. supported him as, as a professional athlete. And now, uh, you know, the roles are reversed, uh, although that obviously didn't happen in 2016. But it's something to, it's, a, it's definitely a, a new area to think about. And it's seeing a strong squad in Newcastle and putting on the Newcastle jersey and showing pride and the excitement that they've, you, you can see within those, uh, those players uh, moving forward is, is something that I think uh, Newcastle will wrap their arms around because it's not necessarily success, but it's passion that we get attached to. Uh, and, and hopefully that we can... Um, uh, you know, they really create uh, their own story and have something to celebrate. Um, uh, and look, let, let's let's hope to, to launch off uh, going uh, into the into the, the men's game and have both uh, the men and women's team held in, in high regard in the uh, in the NRL once again. Mate, I'm I'm just looking forward to seeing a fit Caitlin Johnson this season. I think uh, I think if you're a Knights fan and you're not excited by the potential. I mean, you know, two of our biggest players this year have put in the star performances in in their Origin game. So Caitlin in for the New South Wales and KP for um, for Maroons. We didn't get a chance to talk about KP uh, and his head injuries, and I'm sort of a bit happy that I that we we didn't do that because I'm very sad about that. Um, but just on Kate. I think we could just just quickly on KP. I'm not sure if uh, you agree, but to see him not play. To, to indicate that he won't be playing in the season uh, is in, in what I believe is the right thing to do. Hundred percent shouldn't and shouldn't be a, a thing. I see. I've seen some people post to say, and we're not going to make the finals this year, so we shouldn't play him again. I don't think making the finals or should be a, a, some sort of catalyst or or choice to be like, well, we still got a chance to be in the finals, so maybe we shouldn't play him for mm. a bit. We have to. Yeah, maybe his brain's less important if we were in the top eight. Exactly right. I think we have to recognise now. We know what. Uh, head injury, concussions, and, and the effect that has on players long term. We are always hopeful that our players um, are, are looking after themselves. We don't want to see them moving into the later stages of their life with any issues. It's it's and this comes back to the, the care and love that we have for our team. This isn't. It's about. Um, it's not about uh, success on the field. More so, it's about making sure that these young men that go out there every week and put their bodies on the line. Uh, as part of their job, uh, don't uh, inadvertently um, suffer later in life or even in immediate life because we've seen it happen. It was only, uh, uh, you know, we talk about James McManus. It was only more recently um, uh, that the the Melbourne Storm block that we had playing for us that, that um, I've forgotten his name. It's just so bad. Is it, was it, I've got Tim Grant stuck in my head. It's not... Uh, um, he played in the, he played in the forwards. This is bad because he only played like a season and a half with us. Uh, but he ended up dropping out due to um, due to severe oh, headaches. Yeah, who was it? Tim Glasby. Tim Glasby, thank you. Uh, so it's and to think that that's very recent. You know, and this does happen. 
uh, and this could happen to any of the squad, whether it's and 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 uh, uh, looking after the brain and and, and um, any sort of HIAs or anything like that should be taken as seriously as uh, you know an ACL or anything like that. These these things are very serious, and, and we have to have quite uh, a safety as we now. Completely agree. Well, that's a that's a little bit of a sombre note to um to finish it on, uh, uh, Maggie. But um, but no, I, I uh, look when it comes to everything KP, the man is much like Joey in my eyes. He can do no wrong. <laughs> hey mate, thank you so much for um for filling in the void tonight. I, I'm going to pull you up on one last thing as well. The not only did you say to me before the season started, um, don't ask people how they are to start the show. The other thing you said to me was, mate, keep it to a nice tight 45 to 50 minutes. <laughs> People, are, they don't have longer than that. They don't want to listen to your shit for longer than 50 minutes. If you're going for longer than 50 minutes, you're wasting everybody's time. And we've just we've just clocked in at one hour and 46 minutes. But I tell you this, every single minute of them has been quality. Naggy, um, thank you so much for doing this with us uh, tonight. We'll, we'll definitely have to get you back on when uh, Bredo is fit and firing again. He does send his regards. I know he'll be listening. And... Um, yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how the rest of the season pans out. And for the for the, for other listeners who don't uh, know me particularly well, as well, uh, there's no reason why you'd know this. I don't know why I just said that. Uh, but uh, Nagy actually does inform a lot of the. Uh, if there's anything I say on our show that sounds intelligent, it's usually from something that I've lifted from Nagy, who's DM'd me after a game, going, "The fuck were we doing there?" So, uh, <laughs> mate, thank you. Um, thank you very much for uh, coming on and uh, having a chat with us. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for the invitation, Carlo. It was great all the best, and I look forward to uh, another opportunity to speak with you guys. You can probably tell that I've uh, been uh, chewing in the bit to, to voice uh, my opinion as it flows out of my hand uncontrollably. I appreciate everyone listening. Um, oh, mate, we'll, it's, it's we'll, we'll, we love every second of it. All right, everyone, <laughs> thanks for um, thanks for uh, seeing it through to the end with us, and uh, yeah, enjoy the enjoy the game next weekend. would like to thank you for listening right to the end you are our kind of people find other great sports podcasts in our family by subscribing and remember social media isn't a bad place you just need to follow the right people